Welcome to the Knit British Podcast. On this journey, exploring connections of localness in wool and knitting from sheep to skein, I am your host, Louise Scully. from a bit of a squeaky chair and uh, it's about six o'clock in the evening and I have been waiting to record this for precisely four hours but there has been a party going on at the pub across the way and you can still hear a little bit of chortling and a bit of a brouhaha in the background I'm afraid it's got quieter and so instead of recording earlier when I was a little bit more annoyed about the ongoing outside noise I thought I would record now when I'm a little bit weary um, but this needs to get done because I need to get a podcast out it's been it's been too long um, it's only I of course that decides on the schedule but still I feel it's just been a little bit too long and I'm wondering why that is because I think I've been a little bit stuck creatively recently. Um, I've had the Cheviot wool exploration ready to go for a little while. Um, But you know, that post-EYF slump came a little later and lasted a little longer this year and I found it a bit more difficult to get going with my passion projects and um, yeah kind of bit like that maybe you're the same um, maybe maybe we, you know I've spoken to quite a few people who found um, the period directly after Edinburgh Yarn Festival a little bit whoa um, dealing with all of the wonderfulness um, and all of the socialising uh, and such like so Maybe I'm not quite alone there, but um, being stuck creatively is certainly something, not necessarily in knitting, but just with other things that I find a lot of creative, I put a lot of creative energy into doing the podcast and, um, you know, making plans for future events where I'll be uh, and things like that. I've I've, um, hit a bit of a stumbling block, but... Part of that problem is addressing it, or part of the solution, I should say, is addressing it. I've been doing some thinking this weekend, and um, and yeah, I'm I'm kind of gonna tackle that. Uh, but in the mean meanwhile, there's still a podcast to do. And um, how are you? I hope you are all well and cheery. The sun is shining today in Edinburgh, and. Um, You might be forgiven for thinking we're back in Shetland. Remember when I used to have seagulls in the background in Shetland? Lots of people seem to remember that. There's a lot of seagull action outside just now. Um, You may be forgiven for thinking it's the rabble at the pub. (laughs) But now we've got seagulls too. Podcat is here. She's been very good. She's lying on the couch for now. Let's see how long that that goes. Um, Anyway, I digress. Welcome in. Uh, one and all and a special welcome if this is your first time 
uh, to the podcast. It's really lovely to have you all around here for a bit of a catch up. A couple of things I want to talk to you about today. I'm going to try and uh, make the news part short and focus on our Cheviot wool exploration, but something landed on my doorstep this week that I have to tell you about. And I've moved it. <laughs> so now I have to get out of the squeaky chair to find it. I say it this week, it was actually a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, this weekend was uh, Wonder Wool Wales, and I did intend to record before now to tell you a bit about it. But um, amongst all of the fantastic um, yarns and vendors that were no doubt there, I was able to get a sneaky peek at something that was launching there. It is Cartref Yarn. It is a collaboration between between Zoe of the Pins and Needles podcast and Jenny from Owl About Yarn. And it is a, a non-superwash Welsh double knit yarn. It is a blend of 66% Welsh Mule and 33% Blueface Leicester. And it is available in eight dyed shades and one natural shade and it is pretty root and toot and proper by the way I get sent a lot of wool um, they're all pretty special but holy mackerel this is proper uh, proper proper wooly proper local beautifully spun bouncy gorgeous yarn uh, the natural colour has um, you know, very. It's not white white yarn. It's got variations. Um, it's a sort of oatmeal colour in its natural state, with little highlights and flecks of darker colours. You can just imagine how beautiful that is dyed. The yarn will be going in the Cartref Yarn Etsy shop. It is a beautiful yarn, bouncy, like I say, uh, and it is going to be available in uh, 100 gram skeins. It is unique. It is uh, quite limited edition and it is Jenny and Zoe's response to the question where is all the Welsh wool in yarn form and they decided to do something about it. So not only is it wool that's been grown in Wales it's also been spun and dyed in Wales as well. It's a beautiful like plumpy three ply spun yarn and it's just going to be good for all the things. I just think it'd be beautiful for sweaters, for cowls, anything with a bit of texture is going to look beautiful. I haven't yet cast on with this but I just cannot wait to try it. I was given um, three little samples in uh, natural colour in a beautiful mustard gorse colour and a fantastic deep inky navy which is my favourite kind of blue and uh, yeah I'm going to cast something on uh, and uh, try it out but I just know it's going to be absolutely fantastic um, so yeah so look out for that on Etsy Cartref Yarn from farm to yarn in Wales uh, going live at the beginning of May um, fantastic double knit Welsh yarn. Well done Zoe and Jenny. Um, thank you very much for sending me some to try. Do follow them on Instagram um, where you can sign up for their newsletter and find out more about when that yarn goes on sale and what they're getting up to with this fantastic yarn. The other thing that I wanted to talk about 
which I don't have, I mean, uh, you, may, you may hear it, but I don't have any notes for this part um, of the programme. I just wanted to sit down and have a chat with you. But you may have heard the news that Joe and Mika, the organisers behind Edinburgh Yarn Festival, have decided to take a break. Uh, there will be no Edinburgh Yarn Festival in 2020. I, for one, just want to say uh, on this podcast, though I've said it to them both separately already, I am just incredibly proud of, of both of those incredible women. I first met them, um, you know, the day before the first Edinburgh Yarn Festival, and that was in 2013. And I have watched, like many of you have, the incredible things that they've done with Edinburgh Yarn Festival, taking a break in 2014 and coming back in 2015 with a much bigger show. And it's been five years at the Corn Exchange. Um, and yeah, they've decided to take a break. And my hat is always off to them and everything that they've achieved. I think it's a fantastic idea um, for them to take a break. I really do think that people forget that there are just two of them who do that. Yes, you might go to Edinburgh Yarn Festival and you might see a plethora of volunteers. You might see staff wearing Edinburgh Yarn Festival t-shirts, but there are just two of them. They've built it up from a small venue to a massive venue. Their hard work has enabled us to have, or all of us who've been there to have, um, incredible yarn stashes and finished objects with special yarn we bought from special vendors um, at all of the various festivals. So I think it's fantastic that they're taking an opportunity to recharge their batteries. And, you know, for most of most part, what I've seen online, the reaction to the news has been a little bit sad, but wishing them all the best um, while they take some time to spend with their families and pursue other interests. But there's been one or two people who've been kind of entitled uh, and have been a bit miffed and have said, and I've seen this written, by doing this they've ruined future plans, holiday plans, um, and, you know, asking more probing questions about will it come back in 2021, um, and, you know, want to know more of the reasons why they've decided to take a break. None of your business. It's not up to us to ask more of them. And we're, you know, we're not piling them with demands of, well, when you come back in 2021, can we have this? And can we have that? And can we have the rest? It's totally flies in the face of having a break. And furthermore, whether they come back in 2021, whether they t decide to take two years off or four years off or eight years off or whether it doesn't come back at all. It is an amazing event. It has been an incredible thing, not just for those people who have um, come to Edinburgh since 2013 to enjoy the festival. It's done incredible things for Edinburgh. And I know that um, many of those listening might not understand what I say, what I mean when I say that. Before Edinburgh Yarn Festival started in 2013, there wasn't a heck of a lot um, in terms of yarn stores or, you know, Edinburgh was not the nitty city that it is now. And 
Edinburgh Yarn Festival has done incredible things. And not only has it done incredible things for Edinburgh, it's been an incredible platform for a whole heap of vendors. Doubtlessly, Edinburgh is a big financial payout for quite a few vendors. Um, so it's also done a heck of a lot in terms of inspiring other yarny businesses and other yarn festivals. So again, my wooly hat is so well and truly off to Joe and Mika and I thank them from the bottom of my heart for everything that Edinburgh Yarn Festival has done for Knit British and for this podcast and for podcast listeners past and present and maybe future. <laughs> but we're not going to put that pressure on them, are we? We're just going to let them have a fantastic break. That is so richly deserved. All my love uh, and thanks to them. And I'm sure you will join me in raising a glass to Joe and Mika. Uh, something else that I wanted to talk about on this podcast uh, before we go on to talk about our Cheviot Wool Exploration is that the Rare Breed Survival Trust watch list has been published for 2019-2020 and um, in terms of the sheep watch list um, there have been a few changes. Now if you don't know what I'm talking about, the Rare Breed Survival Trust um, collates data on the health and well-being and numbers of different breed flocks in the UK and reports back on um, whether they are uh, critical, endangered, vulnerable, at risk uh, or in the minority. The watch list plays quite an important function in monitoring the health and well-being of the breeds and native, rare and native breeds in, in the UK. There is a report which you will find at rbst.org.uk um, and you can look at the watch list as well. In terms of sheep, there are no breeds in the critical or endangered um, categories, uh, but there are um, sheep in the vulnerable, uh, at risk and minority. In the vulnerable category, uh, that is 500 to 900 breeding yows. Um, there's Borderay, Leicester Longwool, Lincoln Longwool, North Ronaldsey, uh, and White Face Woodland and Welsh Mountain Pedigree. Uh, at risk in the 900 to 1500 uh, breeding females, there's Baldwin, Border Leicester, Castle Milk Murret, Cotswold, Derbyshire Gritstone, Devon and Cornwall Longwool, Hill Radnor, Manx Lofton, Portland, Soe, Teeswater and Wensleydale and in the minority category um, which is 1500 to 3000 breeding females there's Devon Closewool, Dorset Down, Dorset Horn, Greyface Dartmoor, Lanwenog, Norfolk Horn and Oxford Down. According to the report the breeds causing most concern include um, the Soe and the Manx uh, and some of the long wool breeds and um, you know you'll have heard me talk about some of these breeds before and in fact 
quite a few of these breeds we've looked at in wool exploration and will continue to look at in wool exploration. Teeswater um, has been a bit of a, um, has seen a, a pickup, more than a 5% increase in registered adult breeding females this year. Um, the same with the Dorset Horn and um, the same with Casamog Murat. So um, that that's that's definitely good news. And again, Casamog Murat, we're going to be looking at this year with the wool exploration. Dorset Horn, we've already looked at. Um, in wool exploration, teaswater we've looked at in wool exploration. So it's quite nice in some ways to know that the wool that we're we're testing, you know, a lot of it is rare breed and we're doing our little bit to explore a little closely these endangered um, or at-risk or vulnerable breeds. And by doing wool exploration, by talking about it, uh, by you know, putting that out online and on Ravelry and on this podcast, we're making people more aware of, of, you know, the breeds that we've got and the ones that are particularly rare and, you know, just spreading the word a little more. And I quite often get asked, you know, how do we, what can we do to save rare breeds? What can we do to pick the numbers up? Definitely making, you know, and, and talking about it. And like I've spoken about in the past, be an advocate for those breeds, be an advocate for the people who are doing the work with those breeds and share that widely. The other thing, people aren't, some people aren't going to like this, but eat them. Unfortunately, nobody working in um, agriculture, nobody working who, who keeps sheep is making money from wool. One of the ways, the biggest way you make money from sheep is meat. And if more people are interested in rare breed meat, then that puts interest up. They become a bit more of a cash animal. It's important that we understand that keeping sheep for wool is not going to be the thing that helps save the breed or make any money for the farmer. So um, I think when it comes to asking questions about what we can do to save rare breeds we've got to think beyond the knitting um, a little bit but that doesn't mean to say that um, we're not helping and wouldn't it be nice if we're sitting here next year and we see that some of the breeds that we've we've mentioned here and the breeds that we've used in wool exploration are doing better the more we do the more we tell people the more we share the, the more good it can do should have done when I set out with this wool exploration is to think about Cheviots as a group rather than a single breed because of course there is Cheviot, uh, North Country Cheviot, Brecknock Hill Cheviot, South Country Cheviot but it might have been better for me to have approached this like we did with the Dorset group. Hey ho, never mind. So let's just start by saying that I say Cheviot, Cheviot, 
Cheviot. There was a little bit of chat in the Knit British Lovely group uh, early on in this exploration about how to say it. You can say Cheviot, you can say Cheviot, um, I don't care, I say Cheviot. Um, but I suppose uh, semantics is part of um, Cheviot and naming because as we go on you'll see that um, most of the breeds in the breed group can, can just be called Cheviot. Um, although they have other names as well. Cheviots are so named because of their originating in the Cheviot Hills, which is um, a range on the border of England and Scotland. There are several sheep within the breed group. And the first one I'm going to start with is South Country Cheviot, um, also called Border Cheviot. South Country Cheviot so named because they originated south of the Cheviot Hills. Um, they've been evident in that landscape for centuries with not a lot of knowledge of their heritage. There seems to be an old story which is evident um, and applied to a lot of a few British breeds uh, that pre-improved um, Merino-style Spanish sheep are part of the lineage of, of the Cheviot. There's also possibly Lincoln additions, uh, but it's largely believed that the border Cheviot has gone through a generation just becoming adapted to the environment that it lives in. Through the 18th century, the breed was very um, recognisable in the local landscape south of the Cheviot Hills, and it was dispersed throughout Northumberland, as well as being developed in the 19th century uh, for other breeds in the group, the Brecknock Hill Cheviot and the North Country Cheviot. Uh, border Cheviots were also early exports from the UK to the US and uh, South Country Cheviots or Border Cheviots are also found in Australia too. Uh, when it comes to facts about the Border Cheviot fleece, uh, 27 to 33 microns is around the average. Uh, the staple is four to five inches long. It's rectangular in shape with a three-dimensional crimp, which is described as bold and uniform and consistent in quality. Australian Cheviot can be finer still, 24 microns, and longer uh, in the staple, up to six inches. The fleece is described as being good for garments, but... Some of the fleece going over that 30 micron range may be uh, coarser to wear next to the skin for some wearers. Uh, overall, South Country Cheviot or Border Cheviot or simply Cheviot is a firm, durable yarn and is not especially described as harsh. Uh, North Country Cheviot then is found to the north of the Cheviot uh, Hills, particularly found in northern Scotland. Um, you will see them everywhere. Um, if you're doing the North Coast 500 or things like that, if you live in northern Scotland, you're pretty aware of these sheep in the landscape. Um, the North Country Cheviot was improved by a man called Sir John Sinclair, um, who I am led to believe is the man who came up with the term statistic, though I haven't looked into that particular statistic, but I just thought it was interesting. Um, 
he was an important figure in the late 18th century in um, wool and agriculture. He did intensive fieldwork uh, on native and continental breeds to improve uh, the native flocks. Uh, Sir John is reported to have been the first to refer to border cheviots as simply cheviots as well. Uh, Sir John is reported to have thought that cheviot was a breed exemplary for its fleece and for being a good uh, meat carcass. And he brought 500 cheviot gimmers to his Caithness estate and they flourished. Um, it is believed that he crossed them with Leicesters and other breeds uh, to get a bigger meat carcass and more fleece and the North Country Cheviot was born. Um, there are also two types of North Country Cheviot. There is the Lairg type, which is good on hilly areas. It's a hardier sheep. And there's the Caithness type, which is a heavier sheep. It is uh, good for fertile lower ground. Thanks to Sir John Sinclair for, for uh, crossing the border cheviot with those other bloodlines to create uh, sheep that we see everywhere in Scotland. Apparently the first North Country cheviots went to Canada in 1944 and after a slow start they became a pro popular breed there. The fact that North Country cheviots are hardy and long-lived and provide an excellent meat carcass means that they are a pretty good breed to keep. In terms of the wool, the staple is about three and a half to six inches long, 27 to 33 microns. The same rectangular um, staple with consistent quality and bold uniform crimp. It creates a very bouncy wool um, of good quality. Also than the Cheviot group is the Brecknock Hill Cheviot. It's larger than a border cheviot. It was developed in the Brecon Beacons in Wales in the 1800s and it's another breed very closely adapted and recognisable in its landscape. It says in the Fleece and Fibre source book that it was developed with the southern cheviot um, and other native land races. I'm not quite sure which breeds uh, were in that um, but again it's so interesting um, that we talk about the different injections of um, bloodlines into breeding sheep but there's not been a lot of DNA testing as far as I'm aware to define what a lot of those those are. With the Brecknock Hill Cheviot, locks are crisp, ever so slightly lustrous. Same 3D crimp as the other uh, breeds in the group. Um, there is some kemp with the Brecknock Hill Cheviot uh, it is 24 to 32 microns and the staple is shorter than other cheviots at 2 to 4 inches. And interesting that the fleece and fibre source books say that the Brecknock Hill cheviot comes in a wide range of natural colours. There is also the American miniature cheviot, um, which is part of this group. They are also dual purpose for meat and wool, but um, they tend to be... Um, ideal hobby farm sheep. Um, they produce soft, dense wool, which has a, a longer staple length um, than uh, some of the some of its um, relatives, three to seven inches. 
and is 25 to 32 microns in range. Um, they also come in a range of colours and um, apparently miniature cheviot fibre is a favourite with hand spinners. And we have uh, an American miniature cheviot wool in the exploration. There is, of course, a Cheviot um, Society, and I wanted to read to you um, the, a description of a Cheviot tup from 1898, which I found on cheviotsheep.org. That's the um, website of, of the flock book. And this is a description of a Cheviot tup by W.M. Thompson Hall from March 1898. His nostril and nose should be open and wide, that he may roll through them the breath of his pride. They must also be the hue of slow, and the face should be white as the new-driven snow. His jaws may be strong, sitting squarely together, to give him fair play at the stool bent and heather. Twixt his bright-looking eyes there must be a wide space, for nothing is worse than a long, narrow face. Then they must be prominent, sparkling and clear. Let the crown of his head be well covered with hair, not coarse like pig's bristles, not silk like your hat, but fine, white and hard, lying level and flat. His small shapely ears must no coarse thickness show, for this is a fault, as the top breeders know. To the tips have them covered with fine, hard white hair, to be certain that no tender redness is there. He must bear them erect, not let them hang down, like a docken tied to each side of his crown. His neck should be muscular, full-fleshed and strong, and by no means too short, yet too overlong. It should form with the back an angle obtuse, if straight out or low down, tis a matter of use. Well back from his full breast his shoulders must lie, and two things therein you should keep your eye. First of all, have them formed that his action may be, unimpeded, not rolling, but perfectly free. Then they must have a substance good mutton to grow, as sheep are for profit as well as for show. His back should be level and broad, not too long, not concave nor convex, but straight, firm and strong. Well covered in mutton, for everyone knows that the back is the place where the finest meat grows. It must also be mellow and ripe all along. If you feel any hardness, then something is wrong. His full square hindquarters must be a good length, with plenty of substance and plenty of strength. They must be quite straight, with no droop down behind, for this is a fault of the very worst kind. His strong Handsome tail must firmly set on, we'll have more to say on that subject anon. His ribs must be well sprung in every part, giving plenty of rooms for his lung and his heart. For his wind must be good as well as his gait when he goes in November the shed used to mate. Besides being well sprung, his ribs must be deep, short ribs are a very great fault in a sheep. Let his jigget be large, tis a very good thing, a joint indeed fit every way for a king. Let it be full and wide with plenty of scope to hold in its centre the eye of the Pope. The next thing about him we have to note is the quality, style and strength of his coat. But now to describe it, or where to begin, is no easy matter about a sheepskin. For many good judges have different views as to what kind of tups will cross best with their use. Much also depends on the kind of his keep, which very soon alters the coat of the sheep. But there are certain rules which always hold good and which by all breeders are well understood. 
His fleece, when you grip it, must fill your hand full of the finest, the soundest, the closest of wool. Not a hair must be seen, not a coarse, bendy locks. All must be of good quality, down to his hocks. There must be no pearl, let each fibre be straight, assuring the requisite style and good weight. While up to his cheeks, his ear and his throat, no bareness at all must appear in his coat. While down to his knees, let the wool nicely grow, and be sure that he's properly covered below. Bear also in mind that his belly and breast must grow no white hair, but good wool like the rest. From the hair on his crown, right to his tail end, all over his body good wool must extend. And when he is bared, clipped in the middle of May, his fleece should make out the fourth part of a way. A way is equivalent to 48 pounds. His legs must be clean, flat, broad, and of fair length, combining the finest of bone with great strength. They must also be covered with short, hard white hair, and no rough, coarse redness at all should be there. Strong, springy, and sloping, pasterns must be. If short and upright, he'll ne'er walk properly. Come we now to his feet, the last thing of all. They must not be contracted nor round like a ball, but black and well-shaped of the orthodox kind, and fairly set on in both front and behind. Then there is a matter deserving our care. His legs from his body must stand firm and square. While our sheep, being wide at the breast and the heart, should have his four legs at good distance apart. When these things are all right, there is still the fact. We should always remember he must be compact. About his form standing, we've had a long talk, so we now will move him and see how he walks. He will step freely out, as straight as a die, not trailing his feet, not stepping too high, with grace in each movement, not rolling about, nor twisting his legs, either inward or out. So true in his action, so smooth in his gait, his tail will scarce move, but hang down almost straight. His air self-reliant, he walks with such grace, you might think he was monarch of all he surveys. There is an old saying, its meaning is clear, he must stand for a fortnight and ne'er shed a tear. At snow wreath in winter, if such be the fate, his front still unaltered, his courage elate. For in many ways sheep are just like mankind, if they're lacking in courage, they're always behind. We've tried to describe him, but however we try, there is something about him which to know must be seen, for no one can state all the fine, subtle points of his style and his gait, but his look will be such that a tyro can see he is no common sheep, but of high pedigree. That's better than reading you out any breed standard, is it not? A fantastic poem description of Achieviate Tup by William Thompson Hall from 1898. But you do get from that that... Um, Something that is common within the Cheviot family is white face, uh, a clean face, upright ears, a Roman nose and beautifully ringed eyes. Cheviots, I think, are one of my favourite sheep um, to look at next to. That sounds weird, sheep to look at. Um, I have favourite wool from from different breeds. I have favourite sheep and um, I... You know, I'm partial to Shetland sheep 
and also Cheviots. They have such a noble look about them and um, the others that I really think are sweet are Suffolk's. And that's probably very telling of, of the sheep that I saw in Shetland regularly. Um, but yeah, Cheviots are, are pretty stately uh, amongst uh, other sheep breeds. Um, and uh, mostly white uh, in terms of uh, the Cheviots we have here in the UK, although um, Brecknock Hill and American Miniature, as we've said, can have natural colours. And the wool sort of comes into the down category, but obviously the sheep are not in that category. And the wool is a little longer than than springy down wool. But um, Cheviots are pretty special. Uh, and really, um, Cheviots in this com- country are a story of the Highland clearances. They're the story of tartan. Uh, they're the story of textile. Um, clearances significant in Scottish Highlands, mostly to the mid-19th century. It resulted from agricultural improvement and was really driven by the need for landlords to increase their income and um, this is what um, Philip Walling says in Counting Sheep. Um, In the newly opened up highlands, matters took an entirely different course. The primitive crofter sheep had been unsuited to the new 18th century imperative, as were their keepers. Nothing could have turned them into the kind of sheep that would pay rents demanded by the highland lairds of their commercial tenants. They were too small, too slow to mature, too ill-shaped and ironically too prolific and had lost any hardiness they might once have possessed by being housed at night. They were simply not the ovine material needed, needed to exploit the Scottish wilderness. And that made way in the Highlands for um, the Scottish blackface and the Cheviot. And no doubt we will look at blackfaces um, another time. And there's a really nice bit about Tweed in um, the Cheviot chapter uh, in Counting Sheep by Philip Walling. He says, Tweed owes its phenomenal success to two borders men, Archibald Craig and James Locke. Craig was already a moderately successful cloth merchant in London when he saw the potential in the metropolitan fashion for a rustic checked cloth. Story goes that he received a, stan- a stained substandard sample of black and white check cloth from one of his artisan manufacturers in the borders. Rather than send it back, he dyed it brown to disguise the staining and turned it into a brown and black check. He then tried green dye to make a green and black check and blue for a blue and black check. These proved so popular that he had the weavers making the cloth in various sizes of check and style experimenting with the new pattern and colours. But the real marketing genius was James Locke, an enterprising Scottish clothier, who traded from premises in Regent Street. The fashion at the time was for jackets and trousers made up in several different patterns of cloth. Morning dress is a survival of this. But when the Prince of Wales appeared in public in a jacket and trousers that suited one another, made from cloth of the same pattern, uh, a new sartorial fashion was set and Borders manufacturers satisfied it by producing lengths of twill suiting 
in huge quantities. In 1847, Locke is supposed to have received a consignment of twill from Messrs William Watson and son of Hoyke. On the note attached to the parcel, the word twill read tweed because an ink blot at the base of the I made it look like a D. Locke wrote back asking uh, for some more of their tweed and thus the brand was born. Sir Walter Scott has already done much to make the borders and the Tweed Valley famous all over the world, but making the name of the cloth synonymous with the river was a brilliant stroke and transformed Tweed into a unique worldwide brand and ensured it a permanent place in the wardrobe of anyone who aspired to gentility. The Tweed has never lost its worldwide appeal. Ah, the tooting horns now. Hmm. Yes, you go and you go and have a look at that, Jeremy. Keep an eye on them. So, uh, for our exploration this uh, month for Cheviot, we had Practical Cat, Becky P, Lisa Marguerite, Catherine Harding, Dry Gardening, Silver Spring Knit, Drain Old One, Woolly Ellie, and Geneva Knits. We've got used wool, I think it's Vrishgeen is the Gaelic name of the yarn, which is a dark cheviot, um, which is woolen spun. There's uh, Olan and Aubert, Irish cheviot yarn. Then there are um, three knitters with the Dodgson Wood uh, cheviot uh, wool, which is a worsted spun. Uh, we've got a miniature cheviot from uh, the States. And we've got um, Cheviot fibre from Wiggum's Woolworks, from Feltfine, and and yeah, and this month I've managed to spin and knit with Cheviot wool. Although I can't really speak too much about my spinning because I haven't plied it yet and I haven't um, washed it or anything yet. But I was spinning with dark Cheviot that I bought from Hawkshaw sheep um, at St Abbs Wool Fair back in November and uh, it was a big 250 gram bat uh, and I loved the dark colours, um, charcoal, um, really really fantastic deep greys and um, I started spinning that and you know I was so surprised how, how thin I could spin this uh, and I enjoyed spinning it so much that I thought I would get some more from Hawkshaw Sheep at EYF. Um, uh, yeah, as I say, it spun really, really fine. In fact, it spun so fine sometimes that I, I broke and I lost the end of it. But I will be really, really interested to see how it um, plies and knits. But I can't really um, talk too much about it for this exploration because I, I um, as I say, I've not finished knitting, spinning it yet. Um, the first time I ever saw a cheviot in yarn form was um, a beautiful hand-spun cheviot yarn that was gifted to me and oh my goodness I just loved how dense and springy it was and how fantastic it would be uh, knit up in something hard wearing. Um, I have heard that cheviot is good for socks. I don't know if any of our um, explorers thought that. We shall see as we go on um, but it really intrigued me to see Cheviot as a yarn that we don't often see uh, in yarn form uh, and I just wanted 
to to know more and since then I have done my very best to support Cheviot where I can uh, I love seeing it in uh, blends uh, for example New Leaf Yarns have had a Cheviot and Alpaca blend uh, Buchel Yarn is of course Shetland and Cheviot and I just love what it can do I just love how, how soft and creamy and dense and springy it is so let's see what our wool explorers thought the popular weight um, was double knit though there was aran and then uh, four ply and lace weight and let's have a look at what wool explorers thought of the hand squish grab uh, practical cat was using the olan and aubert aran yarn she said uh, the hand squish grab was not soft it has a toothy twiny feel beautiful coloured tweed, uh, a firm twist and quite plump. It doesn't give much at all when you give it a tug to stretch it. Becky P was using the used wool and she said slightly sheepy smell, feels strong, firm, not stretchy, feels thick for a DK, slight halo but no guard hairs, Feels coarse to the hands, but is smoothed when rubbed against my cheek. I knit a cardigan in the used wool dark cheviot, and I did get in touch with them to ask what what made it dark. Was it a natural colour? And apparently, according to Hazel, who's the mill manager, uh, the dark in this cheviot is from what was affectionately termed as a fence jumping Hebridean about twenty five years ago. So it's not necessarily a cross but it's um you know that gene that kind of i guess comes back into it i can't say for sure if that's the science behind it or not but one would assume uh, that there is a bit of hebridean in amongst that uh, cheviot bloodline lisa magritte was using dodgson wood um which is a worsted spun cheviot and she says the wool feels plump and sturdy in the ball there are short hairs coming out of the strand, which creates a halo. When I rub the yarn on my face and neck, it feels like the five o'clock shadow stubble on a man's chin. I don't think the fabric will have much drape, but I think it would be good for socks, chunky cardigans and cabled items. Words that come to mind so far for this wool are crisp, with a dry hand, springy, uh, the label could benefit from some more information on it, such as washing instructions, gauge, needle size and dye lot. So I think that Lisa Magritte was using um, the um, dyed, obviously, um, Dodgson Wood. I think it's first shear as well. Catherine Harding, also using Dodgson Wood. Her first impressions was it was a very attractive yarn, soft to the touch and the colour of clotted cream. Dry Gardening with the same yarn said the surface of the skein feels soft to hand and face. Skein feels substantial when squeezed with a bit of spring upon release. Three plies with a low to moderate twist forming a roundish yarn with a slow subtle luster and a bright light reflective largely smooth surface. It appears to be very attractive, a workhorse yarn suitable for a broad range of uses. Silver Spring Knit um, was using miniature cheviot um, from Little Dixie Farm Fibres and she said this 
has bounce in the skein. It feels sturdy and like it would hold a pattern well. I imagine cables and texture. She said it was labelled sport but came in at 11 to 12 wraps per inch. Drainold one was um, spinning with fibre that she bought from Marlin Sheep and Wool and she was spinning lace weight and ah I see she's she's combined her so she spun uh, worsted and woolen and she said the worsted ball was brighter white than the woolen preparation a sandpapery feel she imagines outerwear uh, or knitted and fooled uh, bags um, or light duty tapestry or rugs she said the woolen ball was not as white and more uneven it had a softer feel uh, and a slightly more halo fuzzier look and she said the woolen spun felt denser she believed the uses for the woolen spun would be winter wear woven outerwear and fooled material for carpet bags she said both were compressible but rebound immediately with a light rustling noise and a slight halo of curlicues Wooly Ellie was uh, she had hand spun a four ply and she had bought the fleece from Wiggum's Woolworks and she says the tops were quite soft around the neck with some hair extremely wiry off the wheel it improved with a wash but she says at this stage I'm sorry it feels like pan scourers oh dear Wooly Ellie I hope as you go along you find some value in that other than pan scourers uh, Ginerva Knits, she hand spun a double knit worsted with fibre she bought from Felt Fine. She said the hand squish grab prior to spinning, the wool puffs up a lot when released from the bag. It feels dry and greasy at the same time. Oxymorons are not uncommon in wool exploration. She said individual ends of hairs visible and she was able to feel them and it had a sheepy smell. She also um, spun a woolen spun double knit. Obviously, the, um, the prior to spinning, the fibre was exactly the same because it was the same fibre. So let's see what our wool explorers found when they started swatching. And this is Practical Cat with her Allen and Bear uh, Aaron. She said bit of a twine feel to it when the yarn runs through the fingers so it'll be interesting to see what washing and blocking does lovely stitch definition with stitches staying put even when it come off the needles slight luster and halo with a little kemp makes a very firm fabric feels surprisingly soft when held against the cheek becky p uh, with her ewist wool dark chariot she said it felt coarse through the hands and I had to put it down after several rows and come back to it. Lisa Marguerite with her Dodgson Wood, um, she said, the wool is strong with a bit of stretch. When I tried to break a strand, it was hard to do and I had to really pull on it. I couldn't smell a sheepy smell as the wool smelt deliciously of the free soap sample that it came with but my dog Molly kept sniffing and licking the ball of wool how interesting she says the wool has gotten softer after working it up into a swatch 
Catherine Harding, with the same yarn, said this was a pleasure to knit. It did not split at all and flew off the needles. I started with short bamboo DPNs and when the square got to 30 stitches per side, I changed to my carbon fibre DPNs, which are longer. They were both great for this yarn uh, in the easy to do lace pattern. Uh, dry gardening with the dodge and wood as well. She said bright, light, reflective yarn uh, and fabric surface with a hint of luster. Excellent stitch definition. Yarn comfortably slips through the fingers well worked. Low elasticity but easily manipulated for stocking stitch. Fabric surface feels soft, springy and pliable with low to moderate drape. Fabric has fine corkscrew fibres extending in a, a very short way from the surface that do not create a halo or otherwise detract from the great stitch definition. Swatch feels soft rubbed against the hand and face. Silver Spring knit with her miniature American Cheviot. She said it knit up very nicely. Fabric is dense. The yarn has some bits where it was not fully spun. She says there's probably a word for that. Um, but she said it didn't affect the fabric. Drain Old One um, with her hand spun. She says the worsted spun uh, lace weight has an inelastic feel, uh, but three inches length stretched to 3.25 inches and rebounded. Uh, not too grabby in unknitting, not splitty, and it had a sturdy feel. Wooly Ellie, um, with her hand spinning from Wiggums, she said, definitely the Kemp makes this feel rough. There were stretches without any where it was soft and woolly through my fingers. Lovely definition and the garter ridges stand up nicely. It feels kind of crispy and like it's a collection of individual stitches, not a cohesive fabric. I couldn't wear it next to my neck pre-wash and it was pretty hairy even against my arm. Nice and crispy, woolly to squish in the hand though. Genereva knits with her worsted um, hand spun double knit she says dry outer with oily inner core question mark question mark question mark uh, tiny ends of hair weren't possible to flatten in spinning she says I tried uh, it gives a slight halo fuzziness increases with re-knitting it feels dense not noticeably warm uh, soft no prickle not easy to break has a thick homely rural character not much drape um, I would agree in spinning my dark cheviot that it has a fuzziness um, that has remained all through the spinning it doesn't really matter what I do with it it kind of retains that so it's definitely a characteristic um, she says in, in comparison with the worsted swatch the woolen swatch was better balanced it was drier it felt a little warmer the yarn is more flexible and drapes better. It has medium elasticity, some fuzziness as expected with the woolen spun, but I noticed that that settled after soaking. She said the woolen spun cheviot was very nice to swatch with. So let's go to the first wash block and wear. A practical cat. She was with the Olan on a bear, Aaron. 
and she said before blocking I wore it inside my bra. There was a slight prickle when it pressed against the skin but otherwise surprisingly easy to forget it was there. When I removed it I was aware of a sense of relief and the skin was red where it had been. The first wash test it soaked it uh, for a couple of hours in plain water then I smoothed it out to dry. I didn't pin it but it dried to the same dimensions as before. Stitches evened out beautifully. Fabric looks smoother. Worn inside the waistband against the skin. Prickly but not unbearable. Would be fine over a thin layer. But I would recommend... Uh, but I would... I compare it to the feel of Let Lopi. And she says it made a very pretty swatch. Thank you for that. That's so useful to know um, what you feel it was compared to. Becky P soaked her... I used wool uh, cheviot in Usulan for 30 minutes. She said she blocked it 17.5 centimetres square and wore under her bra strap for the day. She said after an initial prickle, I soon forgot I was wearing it apart from the warm spot. She eased it back into shape after a day, day's wear and it looked fine. The pattern looked uh, subtle and not crisp. The fabric feels not too firm and has movement. Uh, as I said earlier, I made a cardigan in this yarn and I totally agree with that, um, that it um, really retains its shape. Um, Lisa Marguerite used warm water and wool wash from Dodgson Wood with her Dodgson Wood Cheviot swatch. I left it in soapy water for 20 minutes and then rinsed it and put it in clean warm water overnight. I pinned it to 10 by 13 inches and I did Louise's pingback test. Uh, it lost one inch length after four days, so it reduced to 10 by 12 inches. Uh, this is a really, really good thing to try because um, we put our swatches when we're knitting for a sweater under a bit of pressure, don't we? And actually it's better to wash it, pin it, to block it, then unpin it and leave it for a few days because it will naturally ping back. Lisa Magritte says the fabric is softer and drapier, it's bloomed and the cables aren't really defined. I wore it under my bra strap and it was soft and warm. I definitely noticed its absence when I moved it to my tummy under my jeans next to my skin. She says the fabric is even softer after a day of wearing it. Catherine Harding was also using the Dodgson Wood. She says I soaked it in hand hot water for a few hours in liquid wool wash. I pinned it out quite firmly and it held its shape very well once unpinned. It has great stitch definition and the stitches were even more even. It was a lot more drapey after blocking. She said, I thought it was quite soft to start with so I didn't think it could get any softer. I wore it tucked into my waistband for most of the day and it was very warm and comfortable. <laughs> Dry Gardening also had the Dodgson Wood and she said she started it with very warm water, soaking it for almost two hours, water rinse clear, swatch relaxed, easily block and held block almost perfectly. Fine corkscrew fibres on surface pre-blocking have settled down and are now visually insignificant. Excellent stitch definition. I can't say that. Stitch definition, hint of luster remains, bright white finish, low to moderate drape, worn directly against skin for a day, uh, engaging in household and outdoor activities, surprised to find that I was aware of the swatch for most of the day. Uh, next non-sensitive skin or layering would be better for me, she says. 
Silver Spring Knit with the Miniature Cheviot um, yarn. She says, first blocking size did not change. There was soak in the cold water and then it was soaked and then pinned. She wore it under her bra on a very cold day and it kept me just a bit warmer there, she said. Um, and for most of the day, she didn't remember that it was there. Uh, Drain Old One said, all washes, including yarn finishing by thwacking, were in lukewarm water and used to land as per label for about half an hour. Uh, it went in a salad, salad spinner uh, to damp dry. Skeins uh, were hung to dry, uh, weighed by a plastic hanger. Swatches rolled up in a towel and you pinned and air dried to block she says they wanted to bias uh, because they were singles but there was not much change blocked size of wool and worsted swatches were 6.75 by 9.75 inches Uh, she says the feel was okay on upper forehead sandpapery on upper lip worn inside sleeves at wrist Uh, moderate prickle all over that soon decreased woolly ellie um, with her hand spun from Wiggum's chariot fibre. She said, soaked with thorough swishing in hot water in Usulan for about an hour. Blocking with wires really stretched it. She said, there was zero spring back and the only other time I've seen that was with pure silk. When it was dry, there was still a real halo of hairs of assorted thickness. Uh, put one on each hip, couldn't feel a thing. Put one under each bra strap the next day, still couldn't feel them. Then tried it in my bra like padding. She said I was at a spinning retreat and we had a little game of past the swatch and it spent time in several bras. Most people had more sense of skin than me and didn't tolerate it for long. That is brilliant, uh, Willie Ellie. That is is real dedication to the cause. Uh, Generva uh, with her worsted spun cheviot from felt fine um she said soaked in water for an hour stitches look neater um when initially put into my bra i was conscious of it then forgot i had it till i had to do a brisk walk to the library before it closed uh however although i could feel it it was not annoying for me to say that i wouldn't wear it next to the skin that's really good and um, with her woolen spun um from the same fibre she said soaked in water hairs and halo less visible worn in bra did notice it was there initially but then forgot more noticeable with exercise that same brisk walk to the library um, would still wear uh, next to the skin so of course we always do a second wash block and wear um, test uh, to see if it changes uh, at all in that process and practical cat with her Olin and Bear Aaron Cheviot says second wash put it in the usual wool cycle with a hand knit jumper and socks 25 degrees and 600 rpm spin use pins to block this time cables slightly flattened but no felting still had a toothy feel quite uh, hairy uh, left skin slightly reddened when worn inside the waistband. Rubbed it vigorously, no pilling, although some of the tweedy bits were dislodged. Becky P again soaked her uh, used wool cheviot in Usulan for 30 minutes and wore it on her hip for the day. The swatch is much softer, uh, blocked 16 centimetres square this time. After a day of wear, the swatch is barely noticeable apart from a warm patch.
uh, Lisa Marguerite with her um, Dodgson Wood. She says, this time I put it in the washing machine for 20 minutes on 20 degrees with some other items. I dried it on the blocking mat with no pins. It looks fuzzy, less defined cables, and it's more stretchy. Damp, it is 10.5 by 12 inches, and the same when dried after 24 hours, so the width has increased a bit. I carried it around in my pocket all day, sometimes with my door keys. It wrinkled, but there's no pilling. Wearing on my body for a day again, alternating between bra strap and tummy, I noticed the same as before, soft and warm. Catherine Harding, also with the Dodgson Wood, she soaked her swatch uh, a second time in cool water for an hour, then pinned it out quite gently. She said the swatch relaxed after this and ended up a little less defined than after the first blocking. It was very squishy, she said, especially in the garter part, and it remained drapey. She says, I wore it tucked into my t-shirt over my chest for most of the day, and again, very cosy, and the only regret was when I removed it, it felt cold. <laughs> uh, dry gardening, uh, also with Dodge and Wood, she said, Toss swatch in a load of laundry, top loading machine, usual detergent, 19 minutes agitation hot water wash, Two cold water rinses, tumble dried for an hour and a half, no heat. She says significant blurring and flattening of stitch definition, distortion, fine corkscrew fibres raised and fuzzy overall. She says still bright white but now with without the luster hint, worn directly against the chest for a day engaging in household and outdoor activities. Swatch has softened up quite a bit and at times I was unaware of it. Um, Silver Spring Knit with our second wash. She swished it around in cold water and soak and left it to dry. Top curled a bit and it seemed to be both slightly wider and shorter. Um, she says, uh, second wear was inside leggings. Do not remember it was there until it fell out. And this is uh, Drain Old One. She says, the woolen swatch is white and brighter and both are biasing slightly just released from the pins. She's worn under the bra straps, initial prickle for worsted and woolen, compressing or just resting under straps, prickle abated and no irritation, but always aware the swatches were there. Uh, Wooly Ellie and her um, hand spun with fibre from Wiggums, she said, soaked in 20 minutes, uh, soaked for 20 minutes in solid bar hair conditioner, had to rub it quite a bit to lather it up, once dried, feels hairier than the worn swatch. Into the bra again, still couldn't feel it. It's perhaps a tiny bit fooled, through sti uh, though stitch definition is very good. And finally, it was square at 17 by 17 centimetres. At Ginerva, with her worsted spun, hand spun from Feltfine, she said, put in washing machine for one hour wash and dry cycle with supposedly eco-friendly supermarket clothes uh, washing liquid. Hard to notice any change to stitch definition. Any change to size could be explained by not drying flat. Maybe slight reduction in height, not width. Worn in bra again. Could feel it uh, particularly initially or while walking, uh, but not annoying enough for me to say I wouldn't wear it. With her uh, woolen spun cheviot, uh, she said, again, washing machine, one hour uh, on a dry cycle, 
She says, increased fuzziness, but stitches, lace and cable still defined. Cables may look slightly better. In bra as before, did notice initially. And when walking briskly, would still wear it next to my skin. Um, there was a couple of third wash block and wears, which is always nice. Um, Lisa Marguerite. For the third wash block and wear, I put it in the bath with my other jumpers I was washing. It had 20 minutes with wool wash soap, then four hours in clean warm water. I agitated the sample and my other jumpers from time to time. I blocked on a mat with no pins. The final measurements, again, 10.5 by 12 inches. It is fuzzy and the cables have lost definition, but it is still soft, though not as drapey wear test as before. And she was using the Dodgson Wood Cheviot. Um, of course, dry gardening, also with the Dodgson Wood Cheviot. Um, uh, popped it in the machine again. Still bright white, no luster hint. Uh, worn directly against the chest for a day. Mm. A bit more comfortable than wear test two. The conclusion still for me is not next to the sensitive skin areas. Um, thank you very much, you two, for doing a third um, wash, block and wear test. So, always at the end of wash, block and wear and the whole um, review. Thanks, Jeremy, for scruffling with papers there. Um, I ask for thoughts on use. Practical Cat said, um, the Olin and Uber Cheviot Aram is very sturdy, hard-wearing and warm. I wouldn't use it for next to the skin, but excellent for outer layers or for accessories such as a bag or a rug. Becky P said, I was pleasantly surprised by the improved softness of this after the wash and blocks and found the yarn had... Uh, uh, as I'd found the yarn hard through my hands while knitting. While this felt okay on my skin, I think I would err on the side of caution and stick to outer layer garments. And you know, I um, as I say, I knit a cardigan in Cheviot from Newest Wool and I just love it as an outer garment. I don't mind it next to my skin. It's reverse stocking stitch and it, it just looks fantastic. Lisa Marguerite with the Dodgson Wood, she said, I was surprised by how much this wool changed from its initial appearance in the ball and how it became softer even after just knitting with it, even before blocking. The first wash block made it bloom and become softer. The cables look amazing and this would make a lovely jumper or cardigan. I wouldn't hesitate to wear it next to my skin. Uh, Catherine Harding said... I think this would be really good for jumpers, hats, particularly shawls, as it has a lovely drape. She is also using the Dodgson Wood. She says, I find it totally fine next to my skin, so I'd be happy with a cowl or scarf too. Dry Gardening says, this uh, Dodgson Wood yarn is an attractive, high-quality workhorse yarn. Fine for non-sensitive skin and second layering. Excellent felting opportunities. Great for texture or lace patterns. Based on this yarn's performance, I would expect Cheviot fibre to lend strength and spring to softer, less uh, robust fibre in a blend. Brilliant observation, dry gardening. Thank you for that. Silver Spring Knit with her miniature Cheviot. Um, she said, I like the Cheviot a lot and will be looking for more of this breed. This particular wool has a little unspun bit that makes me think twice about it for something dressy, but otherwise I would make a cardigan. Uh, it would make a good Inkunabula, for example. That's a, a Carrie Westman cardigan. Or a jumper with cables and textures. I think it would be good for an outer layer. 
Plan for the rest of the skein is to pair it up with some black Romney I was gifted for a cowl. Um, fantastic. Thank you, Nora. Slobberspring knit. Uh, drain old one with a handspun woolen and worsted. Um, she said, resilient, bright, sh- shallow, halo, slight kemp, sturdy feel. Suitable for woolen or worsted items, knitted or woven outerwear, tapestry bags, light duty rugs, stuffing and batting, probably better to oil the fleece for woolen spinning um, to make it easier to draft, uh, and she would use uh, Cheviot again. Woolly Ellie, she had a particularly Kempy uh, fibre from Wigan Woolworks she says perhaps if John Arbin got his hands on some and process it to remove the thicker hairs in Kemp this could be wonderful feeling the swatches are definitely softer after wash- washing but still very hairy the stitches are much more cohesive after a second wash and wear making an attractive fabric I would wear this as a jumper with a layer underneath but not a shawl or cowl next to the neck. It would be great for blankets, cushions and I think it would also weave nicely. Thank you so much Wooly Ellie and maybe you'd be interested in uh, trying some of the other Cheviot that um, fibre that's been used, perhaps the Hawkshaw dark Cheviot, perhaps it's just that you've had a fleece that's been minimally processed. Um, who's to say um, but perhaps you would um, have better luck um, with another kind of preparation Generva knits garter and stocking stitch looking distinct and like photos of knitting in textbooks lace and cables less attractive but still okay this is a two ply so I might have expected the lace to look better than it does twisted stitch is not very pleasing they look messy and makes thick solid comfortable fabric but not suited to fashion forward looks and that um, was her worsted spun Um, and she says of her woolen spun I strongly prefer the woolen spun swatch for its drape and because it would suit the more sort of fashionable city knits I need to wear garter stocking stitch lace cables rib all look good again twisted stitches look less neat the cables look neatest even though it is a two-ply so likely a cabled item for someone who puts all the hand knits in the washing machine uh, probably not for babies but any type of adult garment or accessory Thank you so much to all of our wool explorers for putting Cheviot through the paces. Again, it's not been one that all of our wool explorers have enjoyed, but I think most of them, if not all of them, have seen the benefit of uh, Cheviot wool. I look forward to um, trying out the Cheviot that I'm spinning just now. I also made a swatch with the Dodgson Wood. Um, as you might remember, I am making polygons, um, tin can knits pattern, little hexagons, and loved um, how quickly it knit, how it, uh, I agree, I can't remember who it was that said it was not splitting. Um, fantastic yarn. And it is shearling, so we would expect it to be the best wool from that sheep, the first the first clip. It's before the... the um, ends of the wool have been blunted by by the clippers so um it is the pick um of of the fleece that first shear so it's really really lovely um i'll put links in the show notes to where you can find these cheviot um, yarns and fibers uh and have you been inspired to try 
achieve it yourself? I'd really, really love to know. There is also a great lot of chat that's going on in the Knit British Ravelry group uh, in the Achieve It chat thread. Uh, another group where there is a lot of chat is uh, the Wensleydale Rule Exploration chat thread, which we will be looking at uh, next time on the podcast. Uh, as you know, Wensleydale is one of my favourites uh, in terms of the the yarn that it makes and the longevity of the uh, finished object. And I am not currently knitting a Cheviot swatch, uh, a Wensleydale swatch, but I am going to tell you about the life so far of my Wensleydale cardigan. The next breed that we'll be looking at um, after Wensleydale will be Castle Milk Murit. You can still, of course, join in the chat with Wensleydale and cast on and explore Wensleydale along with us. Um, the, the chat thread is open for all of the wool exploration breeds this year, so you can get started right away on any of them that take your fancy. It can be any weight, it can be natural, it can be dyed, you can knit or you can crochet, but um, we all follow the wool exploration field notes to frame our reviews. We make a Ravelry project for our swatch and we review and discuss our findings over in Ravelry and fill in the Google form um, like our explorers did this time to discuss it on the podcast. I will be interested to see what you can find uh, in the way of Castle Milk Murit. Of course, there is the wonderful Daughter of a Shepherd. Um, I have some of her yarn to try. Um, I believe that there are a few links over in the Knit British Ravelry group in the Castle Milk Murit thread. Thank you again to all of our explorers and to everyone who took part in the chat to show what they made with Cheviot and to um, give their thoughts. I really, really appreciate it. It is an incredible thing to share what you find by just looking at a swatch, knitting a swatch. Um, it's incredible, the findings and the fact that we're able to tell more people about it and get more people interested in wool and this being one of the most prolific sheep in the British Isles it is really interesting to hear about everyone's experience of it so thank you very much I will be back soon and I will have more to tell you about things that are coming up in the future and until then take very good care enjoy the first flush of um spring that we seem to be having at the moment here in edinburgh the sun is going down it sounds like the guys in the pub have gone inside or gone home the birds are singing there's still cars going past <laughs> i'm gonna have a cup of mint tea until next time take very good care bye for now Thanks for listening to the Knit British Podcast. To find out more, visit www.knitbritish.net. I'm on Instagram as at underscore knitbritish and I'm on Ravelry as Lyra. Why not join us in the Knit British Ravelry group too? Take care of that throat. You're a big thinking star now, remember? This California dude is just a little heavier than usual tonight. Really? Stand. The sun is shining all over the place. Don't you remember I told you 
substandard sample of black and white cloth. Jeremy, put your pot down. The story goes he received a stained substandard... Jeremy! Ow, Jeremy! 